<laughs> they're on a stakeout with you know Jim Belushi and two dudes you never you've never seen before, <laughs> and anything. But you've seen Lawrence Fishburne. Oh, that's right. Well, that's right. It was. I mean, Larry Fishburne. I've seen him a million times. Oh, I forgot the. Sorry. It's Fishburne, Gallagher, and Belushi. Did you watch this movie? Yes, I did. I'm Freddie Woff. We're starting something new today, and hopefully it's something we can continue beyond this initial four episodes, but we are going to do a director series, and we're starting off with the man that man basically paved our action movie uh, slash drama. Oh, yeah. This dude, man, he... he the the to, action comedy, yeah, or uh, if you will. Yeah, he, if you look at his filmography and you're just like, holy shit, this guy did like that and that and that and that and that. Yeah. But people hear his name and a lot if if people are passing, just a passing cinema fans hear his name and they recognize his name, but they don't necessarily know what he's done. Well, it's funny because a lot of people usually recognize him. You see his name as a producer as well because, you know, yeah. because of Aliens. The alien and, series, you know, right. And uh, Tales from the Crypt and all those kind of things as well. Right. Um, we are talking about the fantastic Walter Hill. Yes. Another thing that was so badass about Walter Hill is that not only he, he's always he's always been a very hands-on kind of guy. Like you mentioned, he's, he is a producer and he is a writer and he obviously is a director. But he's definitely somebody that wouldn't be afraid to grab a camera either and to do what he needs to have done. He's... He's very much a hands-on filmmaker, and he he definitely rises above the director category and title on his name because he does everything, which is why his movies are so wildly effective. Oh, yeah, man. I mean, a lot of that film comes from his, you know, he was an AD as well, um, you know, on some things like Bullet, I think, and um, Thomas Crown. Uh, you know, so, I mean, you know, he learned his craft on how to, you know, he's probably staging things for second unit. That's why I think his action sequences are like out of this world, man. Uh, they're, they're never bad, never clunky. They always move. Visually, they're always interesting. Yeah. Um, you know, it's more than just a foot chase or a car chase or, you know, there's lots of things going, lots of parts and pieces. And, uh, you know, I, I want to say like, I can't think of anybody, like as a, as a kid, man, Walter, a Walter Hill movie for me after I saw The Warriors, Dude, a Walter Hill movie was a, like a draw. Like I saw all of them. Like, you know, I, I would, I would be like, Oh, Walter Hill, this is Walter Hill. I'm seeing it, Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, and you know, it's funny because he, he's got such a sort of vast, I mean, he's got such a great track record. I mean, there, there there's from, from hard times up until I, gosh, I'm going to say right up until the mid nineties. So almost a good 20 years. Yeah. I love all of them, man. I mean, we we we, we can only pick four. <laughs> yeah, we pick two each. That's part of that. That's how the series is kind of being set up. We'd pick two each. 
And I didn't pick Streets of Fire. No, and we were we Shocking. were re- we were trying to be really good about not picking obvious ones like Forty Eight Hours for you, Warriors. Streets of Fire, Warriors. Everybody's done that. I was leaning on Southern Comfort for a little bit, but I'm like, man, that's such a heavy movie to take on. I wasn't sure if I was in the mindset to watch it again. Yeah, it's a that it's a, but again, it's another you know, it's a really great movie, and it's but it's yeah, it is a heavy movie for sure. Yeah, it would be it would be a tough one to sort of get through. Yeah, um, not uh, not that it's not a good, not good, but for, to, for us to do our thing, I I think I agree with you. It would be hard. It would be a hard movie to do. Right, but you know that's another movie we've seen remade a lot, and just, even just different different settings. Southern Comfort is it's it's great. That's the thing. I don't want to I don't want to disparage it because us talking about it and, and saying it's just heavy deal to deal with. That's all it is. It's because it's a fucking great movie and. A lot of people came out of that one too, which is not surprising. He had a lot of carryovers from from long riders. Yep, that's another one we talked about. We've talked about on the show quite a bit, and but we felt it was too obvious. But so we're not gonna we're not gonna tell anybody, right? <laughs> no secrets. Secrets. Yeah. So you just have to see when it comes along, and that's that. But today we have obviously, if you're looking at the at your episode name, and we have Red Heat from 1988 with Arnold Schwarzenegger. James Belushi, Peter Boyle, Ed O'Ross, just a ton of names Larry you Fishburne. Larry Before Fishburne. Before he became Lawrence. Playing a, such a dick. <laughs> but, oh, he's great, though. But he's, he's, he's great. great. He's, he's perfect in it. He's like, yeah. uh, by the way, I have to say, when putting together Striking Distance, I realized that unconsciously gave up on referring to dicks in our movies. That guy is the dick of the movie. That guy is the dick of the movie. We did it like regularly. <laughs> we just stopped for some reason. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess it just sort of, you know, it's not really that important. We're, we're turning the microphone now, so. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, dude, you're seeing the movie. We don't, we don't need to, we don't need to tell you who the dick is. Yeah. I mean, you've watched Striking Distance and there's a few. You know, Timothy Busfield is kind of the dick. And the butt of the jokes, right? I think that I think that now that we've graduated from, oh, here's the dick of the of the movie. To all right, who gives us the Chris McDonald? Performance yeah, who gives us the Chris? Who's the Chris McDonald? And I'll tell you who the Chris McDonald is when we get to him in this movie. Well, Brian James is in it. But he... Yes, of course, dude. I mean, that's the thing about Hill. I mean, you know, Hill Hill always used these character actors. You know, in his films, uh, you know, he used uh, Otto Ross. We he used Brian James, you know, in Forty Eight Hours, and uh, you know another Forty Eight Hours, Red Heat. Uh, you know, Walter likes to use these guys because right. they're great, and you know they're they're faces, and they always give him what he wants. Uh, you also get Gina Gershon in this movie. Yeah, uh, you know, pre Showgirls by quite a ways. Quite a ways. Pruitt Taylor Vince again. We didn't we just watch him in something? Yeah, Angel Heart. Right. Yeah. So weird, man. This is this is around the same time. Yeah, he had more lines in that first scene in this movie than he did in all of Angel Heart. Right. But he had more screen time in that movie. <laughs> he was just there, didn't say anything. Yeah. It was funny watching him uh, because it's funny because I don't think I had really, I don't think I, he really registered to me who he was until uh, it was heavy, the James Mangold movie. Right. And then everything after that. Yeah, seeing him young as the hotel clerk is pretty fun. Uh, Mike Haggerty shows up for like one scene in the movie. Yeah. Peter Jason, you know, who everybody knows mostly from, you know, the John Carpenter films. Yeah. Uh, you know, good fun. Uh, Brent, piece. Brent Jennings. Yep. Yeah. He's, he's using a, a lot of, of Walter's movies. 
and our, our favorite Sven Oli Thorson. Yes. <laughs> and a guy who will show up in all of the movies we're talking about uh, in this series, Alan Graff. Yes. Very seriously. Who, who also, I think, drove the bus in this movie. Yes. As well as many others. Yeah. <laughs> That's um, his gig. Yeah, that's his gig. It's funny. Walter's big on putting buses in movies. <laughs> yeah, it's his thing, man. But and, and we did mention another 48 hours briefly, and that comes two years after this. I still feel like, I mean, I, I mean, obviously it's it's Paramount pushing for the sequel. And at that time, of course, you know, Eddie Murphy had graduated and was producing movies now. So I know it was, a, he was heavily involved in that aspect of it, but. This was the movie, man. This was the sequel. This is the sequel that, you know, that that Walter wanted to do and Eddie was too busy being a star to be come around to doing the, the sequel. So he rewrote it, um, rewrote it with uh, with Harry Kleiner and, and Troy Kennedy Martin. And this is what we get. And like you said, it's a better movie by quite a bit than another 48 hours. Oh, yeah, man. This 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 movie, th- this movie can stand on its own. I mean, oh, yeah. Another 48 hours is just a bad remake of 48 hours it's not yeah. even really a sequel it's just like it's almost beat for beat remake and right it's, and eh, it's not very good no and the only thing that they did remotely uh entertaining or a twist on the whole thing was making brian james the bad guy yeah and and a really great opening sequence with the bus yes with the bus Dude, that's i a- might watch it just because it's on prime <laughs> It's, I might attempt to watch it. I don't remember loving it at all, and I don't think I've ever tried to watch it again. The thing about it is you, you want to like it. And I feel another thing, too. I feel like they amped up the, the racist shit in the movie, too, which was already bad. It was already pushing oh, it. Oh, yeah, the politically incorrectness R- of it all. Yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah. It's weird. Um, but I love this movie, man. This is probably in my top five Arnold Schwarzenegger movies. This is for sure. Yeah. I have a Blu-ray somewhere. I don't know where it's at and I couldn't find it. So I, I ended up renting on iTunes and it, and they had a 4k bump on it. Um, no granted, I didn't watch the 4k, but I've been remastering and it looks so good. And, like, and I kept dude. I'm telling you, it wasn't until I was done watching it and I started putting my notes together where I've, I thought it was, I thought it was early nineties. I, I couldn't wrap my head around the fact that it was 88 and cause it, it looks so good. This came out in the heyday of Schwarzenegger. Like, you know, when they were like every other month you were getting like the running man, predator, last action hero, red, red heat snuck in there. And I remember red heat. Uh, it was a summer movie. I remember, you know, it taking a lot of heat, no pun intended, uh, <laughs> critics wise. Um, just, I think probably because nobody had really seen Belushi do anything like this. Right. So it was weird, but I mean, I think Belushi's, this is probably his best movie. Yeah. I want to say it, for me, it's one of Arnold's top three performances yeah. in one of his top five movies. And they, they really use the accent and the whole, you know, they use that to their advantage. His one-liners, which sometimes come off real corny and terrible, they're funny and they, they work in this because of also because of the language barrier. Right. When he says, I'm not shitting on you. Yeah. <laughs> it still makes me laugh. Or, you know, we shoot, the, we shoot them in the back of the head. <laughs> Start with the politicians. Right. I mean, it, all that stuff. So, I mean, this thing, and you get Peter Boyle, um, you know, it's it's got actors, real actors in it. A, a lot like, you know, we talked about with Nowhere to Run. This is a movie where they, they cast the, first, the two big guys. I mean, it's weird because I don't even know where, I, you know, it's funny because Belushi wasn't really coming off of anything no. that I can remember. And then suddenly he's in a 
big movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger, who was, uh, you know, the biggest action draw at the time. Yeah, I don't know what it was, why he he had a few movies in, in 87, well, two, a couple of movies in 87, but yeah, he wouldn't, I think we talked about earlier about last night, it was the only thing that could really have raised them because nobody saw Real Men the year before. No. Nobody saw the principal. Uh, Salvador, maybe. I mean, I remember he got a lot of he got a lot of praise for Salvador, which was '86. Yeah, you know. Yeah, you know, it's Richard Boyle's buddy. But I mean, I, that would be the only thing I could think anybody would say. Hey, man, we should put Jim Belushi in this movie. Right. There was nothing. There was nothing that would make you think that he was a guy for this. But obviously, Schwarzenegger was is the main dude in this, and. Since they're partnered up, you had to put him just <laughs> had him had to make him look the same size on the poster because yeah, James Belushi was you know wasn't and by the way I mentioned Real Men with John Ritter, dude. That movie is very underrated. It's very funny. Yeah, it's on Prime right now. I just yeah. watched it uh, like you know during this quarantine. It's fun. I mean, when I tell people to watch it, they're like, okay, and then they're like, and I'll get response like, what the hell was that? I'm like, I that's it's a kind of an indescribable movie. I don't. I want people just to kind of like when those moments happen, where you're like, what the fuck? Yeah, right. Yeah, just enjoy that. So I don't want to tell anybody about. It. Don't read the summary. Just watch it. Yeah, the Real Men is a movie I, I recommend to people too. There's a few things like that. Real Men and then Made in Heaven, the uh, right. Timothy Hutton movie. We I think talked, we've talked, we've gosh, talked about it second before. time we've talked about that. Yeah. I mean, but those, you know, there's some, there's some oddball, weird 80s movies, you know, that I kind of recommend to people. Turk 182 is another one. <laughs> yeah, but Turk 182 is awesome. Yeah. So is Made in Heaven. Yeah. And so is Real Men. So Red Heat, Summer of 88, Schwarzenegger at his powers, and, you know, Walter Hill, right in his, what, do you, what would you call this? His, his, his Renaissance period sort of came after this right i'd say like in the 90s this is like the you know this is like him this is peak this is the peak of walter hill yeah i think so because this came right after extreme prejudice right you know brewster's millions and some other things in this one he like a, a lot of movies he's matthew leonetti oh yeah as a dp and and john valone as his production designer yeah, I think Leonetti first. I think Extreme Prejudice was the first one with him, mm-hmm. and then they were continuous after that. This movie looks so gorgeous. The opening shot when they're kind of working their way through a bathhouse, and it's a co-ed bathhouse, and it seems a little unusual. But I actually did a little more research. <laughs> like it's well, you realize you're in the gulag. <laughs> yeah, that's just how it is. And, and the the one thing that they did in it is they put these little loincloths on all the dudes. Because I'm sure they usually walk around with their junk hanging out. Women are all naked in there. It was a, it's a, it's a very um, unusual scene for at least for, for American anyway. Yeah, I guess it's pretty common back at least back then it was. But we see, I mean, very European looking dudes. Every single one of them is just ripped. And obviously, the, the, I think Arnold grabbed a bunch of dudes from Venice and said, "All right, we're gonna go shoot this movie." I mean, it's not just there. It's a bathhouse and it's a steamy and there's pools and there's spas and there's steam rooms. And it's also a gym. It's like everything that you go to your gym, well, you used to go to see, you used to go to at your gym is there all in one location with the walls all taken down. It's just a giant studio apartment with all of the features of a gym all in one location. It's super moody. And uh, I, I like how they used the steam oh, yeah. of the showers and everything to kind of set the you know, set the tone and, and put create a nice little. It really sort of it establishes the whole you know 
Russia. Right. I mean, it, you know what I mean? I, Cause I, to me, like when I saw it, I was like, Oh shit. It kind of, for some reason, weirdly reminded me of Rocky four. Yes. And, and you get your, you get your orange and your red hues everywhere. Yeah. yeah. It, it definitely was sewing not the usual bright blue reds. I mean, like, you know, the blue and reds that you normally get from, uh, from an American production, at least at that time when everybody was grading a certain way. Perfectly set tone. You're right. I'm like, what the fuck is this place? Then you see Schwarzenegger come walking through. Now, this is 1988 Schwarzenegger. And he's even bigger in this movie than his biggest points in Predator. Like when he didn't wasn't losing weight <laughs> from being sick. He is ripped in this. He looks like he, like when you see him walking through the opening of Terminator 2, when he's walking through the biker bar. He's that ripped, but five years younger. He's <laughs> just... Dude, right? I mean, this is like, this is Arnold as the perfect specimen. This yep. is like, you know, af this is after Pumping Iron where he was too big right. to be in front of camera. I mean, this is like, this is, again, this and Predator are the movies, and you can throw Running Man in there as well, yeah. where he was, in, he was in his peak physical condition yeah. as well, because it's like, holy crap, man. Because there's other dudes in there that are bigger than him, but you, you know they don't they don't have what he has. No, and he just kind of just strolls in, very Terminator like. When you because when you see this movie, this is another reason why as I'm watching it, I kept thinking this was after T two. I'm thinking, oh, he's just kind of manifesting his performance from that movie in this because he's kind of oh no because 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 within well, that's that's when I realized my like, Karen was the one doing the riffing from this. Oh yeah, to that. Because because the exchange with the kid yep. in T two is very much the when you, he's explaining things and how they say things and and slang and terminology and all that shit. That's basically what happens with Belushi and him in this movie. Yeah. It's the same thing. So I'm like going, ah, oh, see Cameron, you're not that creative after. And I'm going to go you one better too. There's a moment in it, Richard Donner stole right out of this movie when Belushi says, hey, how did you get that gun in the country? And he's like, diplomatic immunity. I, yeah. I almost shit, dude. <laughs> diplomatic immunity. Sorry to jump ahead, but I, I just had to say it because you brought up that point about there's a lot of reference for later Schwarzenegger films in this film. Right. Though Joel Silver has nothing to do with this, him and Walter Hill have a, a long-standing relationship, working relationship for a lot of things like yeah, like Predator, amongst other things, Tales from the Crypt, you know, did that kind of thing. It, All it, those things, yeah. Beautifully set up, Arnold is as Arnold as he can possibly be back in the day. Goes strolling in into the to the sauna area, and he comes in there and says. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking for, does he say I'm looking, does he say Victor's whole name? I can't remember what he's. He says, I'm looking for Victor Rostov. There's, there's a big fight that happens. Then they're out in the snow. He beats up Sven Oli Thorson, who tells him they went to cafe, whatever. And then he goes back to Moscow. That's where Rostov is. What initiates that whole fight is they're looking at his hands and say. These are the hands of a steel worker. And so they grab one of the stones as part of the sauna and <laughs> they drop it in his hand and, and they close it around there. It's like, see, let's see if you can take the heat. So Arnold's got this rock in his hand and he kind of closes his fingers around it. And, he, and you're just like, you're just counting the seconds, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, here it comes. And he just peels back and punches dude straight away. <laughs> well, he staggered. He knocks that dude right out the fucking window. Yeah, out the window. <laughs> let all the light in the place. And, uh, but it, I gotta say though, there's something weird about it. 
Well, he goes out. Him and he's fighting, yeah. right? And then him and Sven Ole Thorson go out the window together. Right. It's so weird because I remember the last time I'd seen it, I thought the same thing. I'm like, I don't remember seeing the second shot with them going out the window. The one dude goes out the window because he punches him out the window. Yeah, there's a bit of a scuffle inside. Yeah. And Arnold, you know, kind of cleans house on a couple of the other dudes. Then him and Sven Ole Thorson are literally wrestling and they go they go out the window. Right. It is so, it's such a weird contrasty moment. Cause like if you weren't already sold where they were in the bathhouse, now you, you're out the window and you're fighting in snow. You're like, where the fuck are you guys? Right. And they look like they fell out of a foundry, like right. some sort of, you know, <laughs> they do. I mean, it looks like it, it, it is, it's like, you know, it's the big industrial windows and, you know, you look up at the, the one shot and it looks back up at the building. It looks like, you know, some sort of, you know, factory. factory. Yeah. <laughs> So they're so they're fighting the snow. Gosh, dude. And you and, and I'm telling you, like I described earlier, when I say they're wearing a loincloth, it literally is only on the front because it's just ass cheeks and hanging out the rest yeah, of the time. Totally, man. It's ass cheeks and some crack cover. Yeah. There's no way that those guys weren't like getting torn up by it, you know, from the, the the icy snow and everything from from rolling around in it. Oh yeah, man. That, you know that ice is, you know, scratches and shit. Yeah. I want to say something too. Why well, don't I don't forget it? Unlike terminal velocity, <laughs> you know when you have your shots in Russia in this movie, you're in Russia. They clearly. Oh yeah, no, they no they're were. in Russia. Yeah, that's something that you, you. It's unmistakable. You're not. You're not buying. This isn't some. You Another know, we're in Santa Barbara. Yeah, Santa Barbara or Malibu or wherever the hell they went to shoot terminal velocity. And, you know, everybody, when you see soldiers in this, when you see the Russian army, you're like, yeah, that's, I believe that. That's so far more believable. Clearly is being shot on location, those moments, especially the last shot at the end, I thought was great too. Yeah, I think, I think the fight, yeah, they, 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 they shot in Austria, they shot in Hungary, they shot in, uh, in the Soviet Union, in the, uh, in the Red Square. Right. As well as, and then Chicago. Uh, and some stuff here in LA too. I right. think probably some soundstage stuff. Right. 35 million in 80, we'll call it 87 since that's when it went in production. 35 million is not a lot, but considering what they did and you know, location shooting isn't cheap, <laughs> that's for sure. And all the locations that they go to, and there's 35 mil, sounds like they got off easy. Or they just didn't, you know, or it's been falsely reported. That, that wouldn't, <laughs> what? They, they, they would never lie. What? No, everybody's truthful when it comes to money, movie money. Come on. So after a brief fight, right, you yeah. know, our Schwarzenegger hammers Sven Oli Thorson into submission and, you know, <laughs> where is Rostov? Yeah. And we find out. He's back in Moscow. <laughs> yeah. He peaced out, man. He's back at the cafe. Strusel song. Was that a throwback to Gotcha? Yeah. Strusel? Gotcha. 1985. <laughs> gotcha. Right? So, you know, the next thing we see is Schwarzenegger back in Moscow. Now he's now he looks like he's in his full military, his police uniform. Right. With and his buddies. Him in that the uniform. Dude, fucking, it's like he looks like, he fits the role just standing there without yeah. saying anything. It's just. So he walks in the bar with his partner. Arnold kind of like leads and, and his his man, what's his name? Yuri, right? Yuri. Uh, Yuri. To call him, just call him Yuri. <laughs> it's not yeah, messing around name. with the last name. <laughs> so Arnold walks in and he approaches the table. Now, when this is where we see Edel Ross, not <laughs> Victor Rostov. Right. Victor Rostov. And the rest of his clan. And this is where Ed 
stands up and starts giving his monologue about harassing him and his people. The Georgians. He fucked with us too much. And it's like, you know, we're good people. You know, we're, we're not we're, drug dealers. We're not, you know, we're, we don't, we're not, we're, we're just simple people. So he just grabs homeboy, smacks him around a little bit. And then you think he's just going to break his leg. <laughs> Cause right. The, Cause everybody's anxiously watching and waiting for this corrupt policeman to break his leg. And he just twists his leg. Oh, he's got a phony leg. And then he turns that leg over on the inside where it's all open cavity on the inside of the leg and out drops the cocaine. <laughs> out drops the cocaine. <laughs> We're like, wow, man, you're just putting your cocaine loose in there, <laughs> rubbing up against his nub. His stub. It's well, yeah, <laughs> cocaine's gross anyway. So from that point, man, it goes nuts and firefight happens. Guns blazing. I'm like, oh, yeah, here we go. Rostov takes off. And that's when we start, then we start spreading out the, you know, Arnold gets separate from Yuri. And then there's, you know, a whole bunch of other like held breaks loose. Dude. Yeah. I'm like going, Oh man. Okay. So this is not a simple operation. It isn't just the two of them. They're not doing the typical American thing. where just a detective and his partner go after a whole clan of people. No, they do it proper. <laughs> that's what's so cool about it. Yeah. Cause Walter does intentionally pulls back and quickly reminds you that this is not your normal action fair. And all of a sudden there's like a whole bunch of other supporting uh, policemen to help with the apprehension of, of Victor and his, and his crew. Well, Victor and his brother and the crew don't forget you know, that when they split up, one follows the brother. I mean, everything's getting shot up and there's faces that you don't know are getting killed along the way, other police officers. And they separate because the brother gets hit in the leg and it's like, I'm going to go after him. Schwarzenegger follows the brother and right. they corner him because he, he runs down the stairs and he's, he's, he's locked off. He turns around. Schwarzenegger's up above him. yells something at Schwarzenegger in Russian and fucking raises his gun and Schwarzenegger kills him. So we got dead Victor brothers now. We got a dead Rostov on our hands. You do have a certain amount of repercussion usually comes for us, avenging. Uh, but th there really isn't that in this. Victor's very self-centered. <laughs> a dead man is a dead man, as he says. Yeah. Because while this is happening, Yuri has cut off Rostov and he's got him at gunpoint and he's saying, throw in your fucking gun. I'll kill you. <laughs> like your dead brother. Gun, right? Now, now, now Yuri's got the big brother, the other Rostov, that makes, throws his gun away. But he fucking slips his wrist and a pop gun comes up and he shoots Yuri dead. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah, it was so it was so well done. It's like there's no there's no telegraphing it. It just happens. You're yeah. like, whoa. And it's and the thing is, how many times have you seen that hidden wrist gun be used where this looks different like than something else we would have seen? Yeah, totally. Again, Walter and his team making sure you're getting something that seems familiar, but then something you hadn't seen and make you go, Whoa, what was that? That was a little different than I would normally see. Right. I mean, it's like, you know, everybody's seen the, them slip the little pistol into the hand, but this is like a whole rig and yeah. you know, it looks like some sort of homemade shotgun. It's cool. Right. Because the barrel on that thing is massive. <laughs> right. It's like he shot him with 10 quarters. <laughs> it shoots marbles. Yeah, it's crazy. Best 250 I ever spent. <laughs> Raw stuff escapes. Yeah. Raw. Victor escapes. And they find, you know, Schwarzenegger comes in and they find Yuri's dead. The next thing we know, we're in Chicago. Chicago. We're in, we're in a cop car with uh, with Belushi, Larry, and... Uh, Sergeant Gallagher. 
Gallagher, that's his name. You're, you, before you before you you're see starting, them, you're getting to hate Belushi right right from the get go. Right from the get go, there's some very young prostitutes on the corner and kind of walk around. This is daylight, man. <laughs> it's like not even at night. Right. And and then you're already hearing his Monday Night Football commentary about them. And yep. and then they cut to them. I'm like, oh. yep. <laughs> the irony is that both the other cops are just kind of like ridiculing him. I'm like, dude, come on, man. <laughs> what? Right. What did I do? And they're on a stakeout because that's what you do in Chicago. You stake things out under the L, as yeah. we learned. Yeah. But these guys are much closer than 10 blocks away. Yes. Because, <laughs> you know, there's a deal going down and they want to make sure they get there before it's over. Right. <laughs> Let's see. Just a different precinct, man, in Chicago. Just a different precinct altogether. Some different cops. And code of silence. <laughs> so Jim Belushi being a piece of shit that he is, is, you know, at least a nice setup anyway. He's when talking about the probably underaged prostitutes in the corner while they're in a stakeout with Lawrence Fishburne and uh, Richard Bright playing Sergeant Gallagher just kind of sit in the car. And we already know instantly what kind of an a-hole Jim Belushi is. And it helps It helps that I don't like Jim Belushi anyway. <laughs> so it, it, he plays this character perfectly because I already don't like him. But he definitely set up a... a an antagonistic relationship that he's got with Lawrence Fishburne. And I keep saying Lawrence, but you know, Larry, he's still Larry. He's still Larry in this. When does he shave the Larry thing, by the way? I think it's after, um, what's love got to do with it. After he got nominated for an Oscar, I feel like he became Lawrence. I don't know. I mean, I just, I'm going to say, I always knew him as Larry. And then I think, but I want to say after maybe after that, he became Lawrence because like in Bad Company and in uh, Just Cause, all those movies that were made after it, he was Lawrence. Here's what's nutty. Okay. I'm looking real quick. His first, first two credits were Lawrence. Third credit for Apocalypse Now was Larry. Then the two after that, you know, for Willie and Phil and Death Wish 2, went back to Lawrence. And then he went back to Larry for Rumblefish. Mm-hmm. Through deep cover, and then what's love got, love got to do with it is when he went back. Yeah, weird. Yeah, I mean, you know, I guess it's uh, you know, I don't know. If you look at mine, sometimes it says Frederick, sometimes it says Freddie. <laughs> well, don't they ask you what you want? They do, um, you know, but and then sometimes they don't. But I, I mean, I have I've been asked more than not yeah. um, because I'll, you know, on all my legal paperwork, like from the agency and stuff, it says Frederick. Right. Like in all my deal memos. Right. Um, so, you know, usually they ask, hey, you know, or, but sometimes they just go Frederick. Right. It's weird. So maybe, yeah, who knows? But I mean, or maybe to me, I feel like Lawrence reached a point where he, you know, I got nominated for an Oscar. I'm going to be Lawrence from now on. Yeah. So we're on a stakeout in Chicago, right? Because that's what you do in Chicago. You're on stakeouts. <laughs> Lots of crime. Apparently. Yeah. Chicago's got a problem with cocaine because Mark for death. Right. Chuck Norris trying no. to fix it. Yeah, Chuck Norris trying to fix it in 85. They're trying to fix it in 88. 1990, they're trying to fix it. For, yeah, it's not working. It's not working, man. So they go into this beat up uh, apartment, comp- apartment building. Well, there's a bunch of chatter. They're going up the stairwell. And Fishburne says, yes, we got this tip from an informant about the clean heads. And then, you know, Belushi goes on his whole tangent about the clean heads. And he's like, I hate the clean heads. And then they, they're like, and then he gets reprimanded, told to shut up by Fishburne. There's a little Gallagher intercedes. Then we cut to them in the hallway. 
then we cut inside and we see, you know, there's some dudes in there weighing out Coke and there's guns and shit. And there's, you know, there's like four, three or four guys in there, um, you know, doing their thing, Tra- you know, it's like a normal trap house. And then, you know, little Gallagher kicks in the door and, you know, everybody busts in. And then we we're seeing a couple of cats that we saw a short while before that. We see the guy, uh, the guy who's weighing the cocaine. We saw him outside. Yeah, when, and they, he, were, when he, they were outside, they saw him going to the building. Right. So everything, we, yeah. So while he's everything that happened, what we just talked about, the Belushi, all that has happened since he's gone into the building, and now they're going into the building. Come, I was referring to when um, when Victor met up with somebody when he did the whole dollar thing. Was that was that yeah? Oh no! We we the guy that goes in the building is the guy who gave him the the, the hundred dollar bill, the half hundred dollar bill. So everyone's just kind of like throwing their hands in the air, under arrest, just for safety's sake. <laughs> Someone decides to check behind a closed door, like in Pulp Fiction. Like in Pulp Fiction. <laughs> oh no! There's somebody there with a shotgun, and then then more gunfire. Man, there's lots of gunfire in this movie. Yeah, Pulp, man, they don't spare. No, no, exactly. <laughs> and fortunately for uh, the police this time, um, you know, they're ready for, there's no other robbery going on of that's going to fuck their bust up or anything like that. Oh, yeah. In the midst of all that. Well, they cuff everybody to the wall. They yeah. cuff everybody up. Yeah. They bust the clean head outside. And while that's going on, Victor gets busted by the Chicago PD. And uh, he, he gets busted for Dr- uh, driving a stolen car or driving a uh, driving car with expired tags. You know, something that, you know, that old trope. Yeah, we got it. It's like, you know, we got him on tax evasion. We got him on expired tags. And then he had a handgun <laughs> and no license. Right. It's, just, it's the Chicago thing. I can't bust. It's the Chicago way. Yeah, it's the <laughs> Chicago way. <laughs> oh, movies. Then we pop back to Moscow. We pop to Moscow, and this is where we where Ivan finds out that Rostov has been arrested, and he's been he's been ordered to go to the United States to extradite him back to Russia. <laughs> he's super excited. Oh, cool! I get to go to the United States. I love it. Don't tell the Americans anything. Yeah, don't tell them shit. And that's basically what is is. That's his orders. His his orders are don't talk to them about anything. You bring Rostov back and we'll deal. We'll get retribution for Yuri. Yeah. This is still like, you know. Oh, yeah. This is this is before the fall of the wall. Yeah. This is before, you know, this is before. This is still this is still during the Cold War. You know, United States is still very much the enemy. Don't fuck with them. They don't even know anything about us because they can't keep their nose out of our shit. So don't give them anything. Right. They don't want to, they don't want, they don't want to, they don't want anyone to know that, you know, that they have, there's the, 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 that the American problems are starting to make their way over into, to Russia. Danko gets, arrives in Chicago and he's met by, by Art Ritzik and, and Max Gallagher, who we were met earlier. They're standing there and they're looking through a sea of people and they're making small talk and, you know, they're talking about what do you think he's going to be like? I bet he's a dick. I bet he doesn't speak English. <laughs> I bet this, I bet, you know, Belushi's got a million things. You know, I bet this, I bet that. Then suddenly you see <laughs> unmistakably Arnold Schwarzenegger coming through the crowd. Yes. 
head above everybody. <laughs> head and hair above everybody. Dude, that hair is stacked. There's some times in that movie where I'm thinking, did he hang upside down when he did his hair? Because it's like. Yeah, it's funny because later when he's in the shower, there's this scene where he's showering and, you know, you're like, oh, you have perfect hair. <laughs> Who's going to fix it? Dude, yeah, that's another reason thing that, that sells him earlier when he's in the bathhouse, when he's walking through there. It's very much how he handles himself in the biker bar in T2, where he just kind of like strolls in there and his hair and that too was like, yep, it's like perfect. So Gallagher walks over to Danko, introduces himself and, you know, tries to make small talk and be nice. And, and, and Danko's very one word answers. Direct yes. eye contact <laughs> makes uh, makes Gallagher feel very uncomfortable. Belushi comes over and you know tries to do his uh, his irreverent Art Riznik bit, right? And uh, he's not having any of that either. No. So you know he's got one bag. They're going to take him to the hotel, and they uh, they stroll out of the airport. Yeah, so Danko asked both Riznik and Gallagher, "Where was he? You know, where was he arrested?" And they told him that his apartment will take me there. No, where have you all set up at this place? No, take me there. I want to go there. It's a shithole. You don't want to go there. Hookers yeah. and drug dealers and da da da. <laughs> maybe he does. Well, <laughs> maybe he does. He's from Moscow. He's never seen this kind of world. You don't know. Jim Belushi is like, it's antsy to go back and check out the hookers again anyway. Yeah, totally. So they get to the hotel. He gets out without one word. Yeah. <laughs> and, and poor Gallagher's like, I'll pick you up at nine. Yeah. <laughs> out the door. Well, we didn't know this about Danko already. He's very... It's by the numbers. Yeah, I don't care. This is what I... I'm, I'm on a mission. Again, very Terminator-like, focused, and this is what I'm doing. Disciplined. And he gets inside. He goes up to the desk, and there's our buddy, Pruitt Taylor Vance. Taylor Pruitt Vance. Yeah, one of those. <laughs> somebody. Somebody named Vince. He gets a lot of opportunity to talk a lot in this movie. And we talked earlier about how in Angel Heart, he has more screen time than he has in this but he has far more dialogue in this. And he's super funny in it, too. Yeah, he's, he's very funny. Because, you know, he's got that eye, that situation. When he gets agitated, his eye is a little more active. And it really sells really sells him as a, such a unique actor when he's on screen because you're just drawn to, not fixated yeah. on the eye, but it just kind of, he he's so unique from that. And he's super funny in it. And, and, and he's in the movie like three or four times. And he's, and he's funny every time. They really gave him some good stuff. It doesn't seem like the usual canned you know, dialogue that you get in these kinds of movies. Right. For this kind of character. I mean, right. I can't, I feel like they kind of let him do his thing. Yeah. And I feel like it's also, he plays really well off of the straight laced Danko uh, performance from Schwarzenegger. Yeah. Schwarzenegger doesn't get cheeky with him. He's just very, you know, matter of fact. And, um, you know, th th those moments are quite funny. Yeah. Danko decides, I'm just going to stay here. Fuck this. <laughs> so he stays, he checks into the hotel. Well, he gets the same room. He asks for the same room yeah. as Ross. He wants Rostov's room. Yeah. You rush, and then there's a whole back and forth of them. Are you rushing too? Blah, blah, blah. And he just looks at him. He just looks at him. <laughs> he gets in room 302. <laughs> 303. 303, yeah. 302 comes into play later. Right. Not that we're going to note that at all. Terry is the next day? The next day, right? Yeah. We see, we sort of goes up, he makes his thing. And the next morning, we're, we cut and we're in the police station and we meet Peter Boyle. Oh, gosh, he's and, so good. And, uh, you know, Schwarzenegger's in the room with Boyle, Riznik, Gallagher. Yeah. So he says to them, you're, there's not even an interrogation. They're just going to go, they're going to pick him up. Right. And, he, and he's very adamant about, uh, 
Belushi getting the sheet signed before Gallagher takes him to the airport. Right. And that's why, that's why they separate. That's why Belushi's not with them when they're walking out of the, the terminal. Right. So now they're just, they just go, they're going to the jail and they're, they're, they go to the, they go to Rostov's cell and Schwarzenegger and him have their little exchange in Russian. And there's some posturing and some pushing around. And, you know, that's where he says, a dead man's a dead man. You shot my partner. I shot your brother. But, you know, they have that bit. Then they leave and Belushi gets the paper signed and he still, he goes the other, he splits. And then they go, Gallagher and Schwarzenegger and Rostov go the other way. And then we cut outside and we see there's an ominous armored car pulling up. And out come some dudes that we saw earlier at that drug bust. Couple of, a couple of faces right. that we recognize, one especially one of the guy, the guy with the shotgun that opens yep. up on him. They're carrying their bags of money, you assume, and they bump into Gower Schwartz, Schwarzenegger, and and Victor, and they ambush him. Well, they club the shit out. Of, they club yes. Gallagher and Schwarzenegger. Knock those fools out as they're trying to gather everybody and and uncuff uh, Victor from Danko. Yeah, Gallagher goes for his gun. Gallagher goes for his gun and gets shot up himself and. Very much like Jonathan Banks in 48 Hours. Yeah. Now he's dead. And Belushi hears it and comes running from where he was at. And we get a little firefight. Again, this is where you're really selling those moments from the first 48 Hours. And he man, he really, again, this is where I really felt he was holding his gun the way Nick Nolte did in the, the hotel scene in, in 48 Hours. And I throw back to it, and it, but it felt, Felt good. It didn't feel again. Didn't feel like rehash. It, right. Not at all. The dudes get away. Belushi clips one of them. Yeah. So then the next thing we see is Danko. They're looking at X-rays. The cops and a doctor and Danko's <laughs> in a hospital bed <laughs> with a concussion. Oh poor Gallagher's Dan- dead. It's a big mess right now. All you're supposed to do is just transfer this dude, and off he went to the. How ho- the fuck did this happen, Riznik? Yeah. Giving him the business. Like, it wasn't his fault. I mean, he need, he needed a newspaper, right? <laughs> and this is why I love Peter Boyle. Peter Boyle can go from being that, you know, when we, when when Schwarzenegger meets him and he's giving him the whole, like, I listen to nice music. Da, 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 da. If you ask me, the whole thing's a crock of shit. But when you're faced, you know, that whole speech. And then now he's, like, total, like, hard ass and he's cracking down. I mean, Boyle did that really well. Always. Yeah. That was, like, a... He's, a, he's an actor I used to love to, in films like this. You know, yeah. he's not in a lot, but when he's in it, you're like, fuck yeah. Yeah, he's, most people just think of him as a comedic everybody actor. Everybody loves Raymond. Yeah, <laughs> everybody loves Raymond, Young Frankenstein. They don't think of him, in fact, that- The dream team. Yeah, he's, he can be funny. When he can be funny, he's playing on the fact that he can deliver the, the drama the way he can deliver it. But, but Peter Boyle kicks ass. Yeah, always. So while, while Danko's in bed, right, the two KGB guys show up. Yeah. <laughs> suddenly, right? There's, yeah. They, they're, they're in a hurry to get there. They, they show up. They tell him, you know, you've. they're basically giving him the same speech that Boyle has given Riznik outside. Yeah. You know, you fucked up. Don't tell the Americans anything. Well, how did he get away? This, that, and, and Danko's like, I'm not telling you guys shit. Yeah. He's like, it's and it's funny too because you get that. Again, we've talked about it earlier, but the the turning things on their head, it's just a location thing. He's still technically local police versus the KGB in that situation. No different than yeah. his local PD dealing right. with the feds. Same it's like thing. like the IA. But he's like, he's not telling them shit. 
they tell Danko when you're as soon as you're out of the hospital, you're on a flight back to Moscow, and they, you know they're going to take over this whole. They're going to find him, and they'll. They, but they're sending Danko home. As far as they're concerned, he fucking screwed the pooch. And then we cut back to the the doctor saying, "Oh yeah, Danko, you know he'll stay in the hospital for a few days." And then we cut back to Danko, who's now changed clothes and he's wearing <laughs> that goofy green suit, and he's about to leave his hospital room when Belushi comes in. And is like, "Hey, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa!" And there's you know, they exit and the cops are like, Hey, you can't. And Riznik's like, he's with me. And then, you know, Belushi is supposed to drive him to the airport. Danko's like, I'm not going to the fucking airport. I guess you do. That dude killed my partner, man. And now they, they both have that in common. Yeah. It's a pride thing too. At this point too, it isn't just the, the resolution of getting his partner's killer back. It was like, he's embarrassed and he's, he can't go back to yeah. Russia. He's fucked, no, man. He's going to Siberia when he gets back. Right. And the thing is, is now him and Belushi, both their partners have been killed by Frostoff. Yeah. Or Rostov's at the hand of Rostov. Right. So, you know, that that kind of bonds our guys, you know, because up to this point, there's kind of been this like, eh. But now they kind of both have like a common goal. Belushi's like, get in the car. And, you know, we got a witness. You know, I got this snitch who tipped us off to the clean head thing. And so they head off to do that. Right. He tells him that there's a, the witness, the shot Russian is in intensive care. But first he wants to go back to the hotel. I think to retrieve the well, because he retrieves the key. He 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 has the key. It it's fallen on the floor in the train station. He grabs it when he wakes up in the hospital. He has the key. He wants to go back to the hotel. Right. And then they go to see the snitch. So when Danko gets back, goes back to the hotel, and he has to hide the key somewhere. He doesn't want to go anywhere running around with it when he could possibly lose the key until he figures out what it's for. And he hides key up in the chandelier. When that's happening, he's being watched. Uh, Victor and his crew are watching him, like from across the from the building across the way, and they watch him. They see him do something in there, but they don't know what. Yeah, they just see him do something. His silhouette. Right. So after the hotel, Belushi says, "I got this snitch, the guy who gave us a tip on the clean heads. Right. We're gonna go talk to him." So they go, they uh, they go back to the precinct. Into an interrogation room. <laughs> As Brian James doing what Brian James does. Like yeah, we, man. Like we talked about recently. Thing. He's he's amped up because that's <laughs> how he does things. Getting up, sitting down, getting up, sitting down. You know, he, yeah, talking shit, saying my lawyer's <laughs> gonna eat you for lunch. You know, Riznik says, Oh, hey, well, hundred dollars make you talk. He puts the hundred dollar bill in his pocket, and then he's like, Wait, I smell something. Is that heroin? And he reaches in and right in the middle of the $100 bill, he had planted heroin. And then he's like, no, you you know, oh God. And there's the whole thing. And Brian James is like basically screaming at him, you know, about his lawyer. He'll make, he makes the ACLU look like Nazis. Yeah, 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 yeah. He'll eat you for breakfast. And then, you know, Schwarzenegger kind of just fucking grabs Brian James, slams his head on the desk, slams into against the wall and, you know, takes his fingers <laughs> Does something to them short of ripping them off, and yes. uh, Brian James <laughs> spills the beans. Yeah, he didn't. He, he didn't take long. He didn't mince words. <laughs> the you know the squeaky wheel gets his thumbs jammed up. Now he's he he just coughs up all the information that they're looking for, and Belushi's just kind of like, dude, you can't fucking do that. And they go, oh, you mean like people plant- have rights here, Miranda? <laughs> Miranda rights, and he's like, oh, you mean like you know. Planting you mean like drugs planting on people. Heroin. It's like planting <laughs> drugs is okay. Well, you know, maybe we both went overboard. Yeah. You just look at the situation. Which one's worse, right? Well, 
what, what's what's going to happen to the Russian dude? He's not really there in official business anyway. He's just standing yeah, in the right? he's a, What are they going to do to him? <laughs> Diplomatic community. Yeah, man. <laughs> we know this. So they find out that, you know, all they need to find out from about Victor and what he's got going on with all his drug deals and stuff that he ends up getting imported to the Soviet Union. Is it still right. the Soviet Union? Yeah, it is because the wall. Yeah. Yeah, it's 88. Mm-hmm. Come on, Corey. <laughs> I'm still trying to wrap my head around the fact this isn't a 90s movie because it sure feels like it. Like we said in previous episodes, some of the movies that we covered in the 90s series were so early 90s and carryovers from the 80s. They have this vibe. So they seem very familiar because, well, <laughs> they were in, in development for four or five years. Yeah. I mean, one of the things about this movie is it, it do, this movie doesn't necessarily seem 80s dated when you watch it. No, it doesn't. I mean, that's the only thing you I mean, remind the, yourself that the fact is that, you know, the Cold War is still in effect, just, you know, and that's all you really need to know about it. Right. So they, so they go see Abdul Elijah in, in the prison. And who is that? He's the leader of the cleanheads. Yeah. And he just... He owns the prison. He's he he's clearly the dude because he's just strolling around with sunglasses on, doing his thing. And it was such a weird setup having having Danko and Resident kind of like just walking through the like General Pop, just standing in the middle of everything. Right. Alan Graff leads them into the middle of the uh, what looks. It's funny because it, it totally mirrors the opening of the movie. Yes. Big butt. There's that. You know. There's now we're looking at. The American version of that uh, weird gulag steam room. Right. You know, we got dudes curling 300 pounds and, you know, and, and Graf like leaves them there and like, well, peace out. That's him over there. And, you know, they kind of go do their thing. So when I'm talking to Elijah, they. He's dropping knowledge on them. Yeah. All these movies that we see that like this, where you're, when you're getting this information, this, you know, it never feels like it's expositional. It doesn't feel like. Like you're, you're, you're spoon feeding us, you know, it's the great performances and it's, and it's the very economical dialogue. There's no, it doesn't feel like you're, you're, you're trying to get rid of a couple of pages of, of action by telling to me in a couple of lines. Right. Everything he's telling you, you need to know. Yeah. There's no fat. He mentions, he said, if you got Victor's key, then you have Victor's money. And if you got, if you got a half of a hundred dollar bill, then you and I are in business. Yeah. He lays it out pretty clear. So he basically tells them, you know, help us out here and you get to keep your drugs. He said, you get the money, you get the drugs. You get it all. I just, we just want, we just want Victor. That's all we want. And that's true. That's all they're, that's all they're looking for. They don't give a shit about the other stuff. Nope. Nope. None of it. Don't want to, they don't, they don't care about busting him or fucking breaking up a drug ring, any of that shit. Nope. It's simply, they want Rostov. Yeah. So when they, they find out that there's, Victor's got, got a little side piece here in the United States because <laughs> it's 1988. Yeah. And jazzercise kind of thing is is really big. It's 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 the nineteen eighty eight version of, of spin class. And and she's leading the class and very, very young Gina Gershon. She looks freaking amazing. No surprise. Yeah, she's and you know, and she more than holds her own in this scene with these guys too. Yeah. And she's really young at this point. Yeah, so she's in their office and kind of giving the business and as they're giving her the business and trying to like stronghold her, like we, we need Victor and she's like, I'm not giving him up, fuck you guys. And and then she goes, I'm his wife. Boom, and then she drops the mic and walks out. Yeah, <laughs> it's like I'm not saying shit to you about anything. 
when she doesn't get into it right there, but you know, we find out later on that she says that out of fear and not from the two that are interrogating her, but from Victor himself, because, well, he's not a good guy. He's not. As we've discovered earlier on. Right. So from there, uh, you know, Danko and Rizik, they go to the hospital to talk to one of uh, Victor's dudes that was hurt earlier in that, in that in an ambush that happened earlier in the movie. Right. Where they killed Gallagher and where they, where they, where the clean heads, uh, right. you know, he was one of the guards right. out of the armored car and uh, Belushi shot him. When they're coming into the room to talk to him, they're bumped into by this nurse who was just tending to him, to Victor's dude. And, Think nothing of it. And it's a hard bump, dude. It's, it's like, it's a hard it's like bump. the kind of bump that you get from a linebacker, right? With, you know, at, in the school lunch line, right? And this is a female nurse, and you, you're kind of like, man, she didn't really bounce off of him, did she? And that was kind of weird. And you don't think anything like upfront about it. it. Kind of just sits in the sits at the forefront of your mind for a moment, and go back to business. Danko and Ritzik time talk to this guy, Mike. So they start <laughs> harassing start the dude. Him. He says, "Stop playing dead. <laughs> Stop playing dead, Wait. man." Holy shit, he is dead. And like, oh crap, the nurse. And so they go, they go and chase after, which seems to be very clear now. This is not a woman. Uh, this is definitely a man dressed up like a woman. And uh, they chase after him, and they get into uh, we have we have a little shooting going on here, which surprised me, right? Because as soon as they're having a little standoff too, I forgot to point that out with the not nurse. And we realized, like, wait a second here. You get a close enough look and, like, is that the guy from earlier? You've seen him a few times in the movie. Yep. It's not really clear because he's got, I mean, he's got, he's wearing a wig. He's in a full. And he's got makeup. Nurse and, on yeah. And Danko just shoots him. Fuck, says, Fuck this, dude. <laughs> this, this the Russian way. And boom. Kills him. And it's what's so awesome when he shoots him. The guy falls back and he loses his wig. Seems very natural, but the way he, the, he loses the wig, it doesn't seem like it, it, it just happens to come off and uh, partially comes. Yeah, it kind of comes up. You can still see like the, the little comb that's holding it in um, yeah, as he slides down the wall. Right. And you're like, oh, that it? What? So like, we cut from that to Boyle's just ripping them. Now Boyle's ripping both of them. Yeah, he's just not having it. And then he just comes up and dank him, like, give me your gun, dude. You know, you. I mean, he gives him a whole bunch of spiels like you're not licensed to carry one and all that crap. But bottom line is, dude, he would have lost his gun anyway, even if he was a Chicago PD in that situation. He, you know, it's not a clean. Yeah, anytime there's a shooting, yeah, you, the first thing they do is they take you. You know, there's an investigation, and yep. And how the hell is Boyle going to explain this? Right. So now Boyle's just because up to this point, Boyle's kind of like going, "Hey, look, you know what?" He says there is there is like earlier and like. Let them, not to Rizzo, but to Larry Fishburne, like, let them do their thing, man. Right. This is going to be the easiest thing for, ever for me. Yeah. I don't have to explain shit. Yeah. Nothing. Boing. And of course, back this, after this happens, he tells Larry, he's like, you know what? I was wrong. I was wrong. <laughs> well, you know, it went from a being Luke, uh, a lukewarm situation to like, now we're fucked. We got to... <laughs> We had to do some more due diligence. Right. I mean, so like now it's like they're both on suspension, like, you know, almost. I mean, basically they've taken Danko's gun and they're like, you know, get that motherfucker on a plane out of here. Yep. Ivan wants a gun. He just fucked this. I'm not done. Um, you, you know, your boss means shit to me. I don't care. How'd you get a gun past customs? Diplomatic community. <laughs> what she actually says. Yes. Four years before Lethal Weapon 2. Yeah. People steal. Or a year before it, anyway. Yeah. 
but you got Rizik and Danko. They're like kind of like they're both doing the same thing now. They're both trying to avenge their partner's murder. So now, yeah. like you said before, they're already tight. Now they're super tight. Now they're both. Hey, we're both in a situation. We're both fucked. <laughs> My boss right? is pissed at me. I'm, I'm on suspension. You have no authority to be here, and you don't even have your gun anymore. We're fucked. So that's when Ivan just gave me a gun. I was like, all right, I'll get you a gun. <laughs> you in go. the glove box. This is the, <laughs> this is the this is the most powerful handgun in the world. <laughs> Dude, I, I love that they made a little jab at Dirty Harry. It was yeah, funny. Yeah, and made the jab by saying it's the most powerful handgun in the world, and, and then he ran him. Like, no, the Russian blah 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 blah. It's the most powerful handgun in the world. And then he goes, no, Dirty Harry. So they already took a shot at him without even right. saying Dirty Harry, which was gold. And then, and then he says Dirty Harry. And he goes, and he goes, who's Dirty Harry? Who is Dirty Harry? <laughs> it is so good because it's it's in his Russian, you know, again, that's why these little one-liners and things work so well for me in this movie is because it's a language barrier thing too, you know, and they are funny. He's not the kind of guy with no Dirty Harry. Now that he's got the gun, they're staking out the Gershon's place. They're hanging outside. They're keeping an eye on her. And she ends up having a taxi come pull up and pick her up. Off she goes, and they they follow her. They follow the taxi, and she's looking behind, and she sees that she's being followed. We're being followed, and we cut to the driver, and it's one of clean heads. One of the clean heads, and he goes, "That's the plan. Lead him into this parking garage." And they don't realize they're actually about to have a meeting. <laughs> nope, they certainly do not. They have no clue what's is happening. They, they they see who the taxi is. They pull into a parking spot themselves, and as they kind of get getting, they're sitting in their car and getting ready to get out, and they see a van pull up. And it's full of a bunch of clean heads that kind of get a lot of the guys that we saw earlier when the, that broke Victor away from from his extradition travels. They're locked and loaded. Yeah, they're like, like, he's like, man, I sure wish I had a gun or something to that effect. <laughs> I forget what it was. Oh, I know what it was. He's like, you give me a gun. I was like, man, I'm Chicago PD. I man, I'm just going to give you my gun. And then everybody like <laughs> Here, here pulls, you go. pulls their slides and he goes, <laughs> <laughs> tosses it to him. He didn't hesitate. Probably my favorite moment of Belushi in the movie. It's the most Belushi thing in the movie, and it totally works. Yeah, yeah. And this is where we find out that that our man Elijah set this this meeting up, and then here comes Victor. <laughs> Victor's like, "I want my key back," and he's just like, "Fuck that! I ain't gonna give you a key. What key? What are you talking about?" And Gina, at this point, she's like, "Fuck this! I can't deal with all this machismo, and I'm out of here." And she like runs off, and and there's a waiting to get picked up. And then she gets picked up. <laughs> well, Schwarzenegger chases her, you know, down through the bottom of the garage and he lets her go. He says, Victor's got 10, 10 women just like you in Russia. Yeah. Either waiting or dead. And shoots the fucking chain and, you know, go, run. And she bails. Yeah. Schwarzenegger's like, take me back to, the, just take me back to the hotel. Goes back to the hotel. He starts to take a shot. He, he put, he, he makes sure the key's still there. He, he, he goes in to take a shower. And then while he's in there taking a shower, <laughs> they, they all come into the room. They all come to the hotel, and we have a nice little, another moment with a our- reunion with uh, <laughs> our good buddy, Crazy Eye. Yeah. So they, uh, Victor's looking at the the um, the hotel roster and the registration and registry, and he sees that, oh, he's staying in my room. Sweet. You want your old room back? And uh, so they're kind of like- he, he basically takes- Pruitt Taylor Vince's head and bounces it off the desk and breaks his neck. Yeah. I mean, we assume that he's dead, but he might not be, which is probably the best best thing that could have happened to him, honestly. I would hope. Oh, wait. No, no, no. He's still alive. 
Oh yeah, he is still alive because the cops talked to him at the yeah, end. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, he beats beats him up. Beats him then, up. Uh, then, one of the few one of the few times that he fares better than most when it comes to encounters with Victor, usually end up dead. So Victor and his and his crew go upstairs and then he tells him all and goes, Yeah, 302. Right. You don't you don't realize it in the moment. But he told him the wrong room on purpose because you're probably going, wait, I thought they said 303 and they fucked that up. You right. think it's a mistake in the movie. Right. And, but and Victor, they do some nice editing too between Schwarzenegger in the shower yes. and the girl in the bed watching TV. And uh, then then all hell breaks loose. All the clean heads go in there and they start, they don't hesitate, man. They're just shooting the place up. Well, I mean, they go in there and ask, they ask the girl like, where where is he? Like he's in the bathroom. And they just start unloading on this closed bathroom door and just like, oh, dude, what the what, man? And the door opens and down comes his body. And Michael, that's not Schwarzenegger. <laughs> no, it's not. And then we realize that young lady's a hooker. Oh, yeah. So they shoot that guy. Yeah, they shoot, they, they shoot that shit out of that poor guy. Yeah, he, he gets, just kind I mean, of spills out of the bathroom. Yeah, nice, nice uh, uh effect worked on that on is from from the squibs, the combination of that to the to the makeup. The prosthetic bullet, yeah. Yeah, totally. really well done. Because I mean, anytime you see this is one of the reasons why you usually see people get shot with clothing on because you can hide everything. This really well done. I thought that was yeah, it looked great. Arnold hears all this because he is, he's next door, he's in 303. And now, now you're starting to see why Victor hang, hung back. He wasn't just man letting somebody else do his dirty work. He was setting them up. And when they re, when the the cleanheads realized that they got the wrong guys, like Victor set us up, boom, and they and then now we we're, we're already engaging in a firefight. <laughs> yeah, between Victor and the cleanheads down this hallway when Arnold's coming out with his gun, wanting to get involved, and all of a sudden it, it's just this serious crossfire going on here and I, I love this and I, and I love the fact that the 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 prostitute rolls over and pulls a little handgun out of her purse yep. <laughs> and she pops one of the clean heads yeah just because you know what she, she kind of have a weapon man everybody's got a gun right here that's what she says everybody's got a gun <laughs> yeah I mean so the, this this little this little fun this is a real fun little moment in the in the in the hotel of what could have just been like super you know it's something we, you know, it's a, it's an old trope that we probably, but I, I really thought they staged it really well. Um, you know, and her screaming in the hallway as she's moving side to side as the, you know, she keeps moving out of harm's way, all done really well. Not like, Oh God, please give me a break. All of it. It just works really well. And it's, it's, it's a real fun little moment. And then, you know, Victor, and that's where Victor takes his moment to sneak into the room. Yeah, he sneaks into 303 where Arnold's been staying and where he's hidden the key and he goes in there and grabs the locker key and pieces out. Pieces out. Boom. So now they've lost the key. They've lost the, the key. Cops show up. Right. What and the then, fuck happened here? Yeah. This is, you know, crazy eyes has this moment with, <laughs> with the police. Another funny moment. <laughs> Just yeah, who's totally. Gonna, who's going to pay for all that shit? What a mess. Blah, blah, blah. And then the prostitute is says saying, you know what? Well, she's getting interrogated. And we mean, where I got my gun? Everybody's got a gun. <laughs> Basically dancing around. I'm like, you could tell she's like, she's been there before. She's not going to say, well, I'm a prostitute. I need a gun. <laughs> she's not going to do that. So no. 
So Belushi and Arnold go to a locksmith when they're trying to get a match. Well, not only is he a locksmith, he's Belushi's brother-in-law who owes his sister alimony. Oh, that's right. He gives him the the grief about being- Because we've been hearing about this alimony and this deadbeat brother-in-law the whole movie. They, they They set this up and then he just happens to be a locksmith. And he doesn't want to help him. He's just like, hey, you know what, dude? I defended you when, <laughs> when, when your checks were bouncing after you delivered them late, and just gives him the shit, and basically convinces him, it's like, you know, what? I can totally fucking roll over on you right now, and, and you can give me what I want, and I'm gonna roll over on you, kind of thing. But he ends up helping him out and is able to produce a, a key for them. And that's Mike Haggerty, who you know is in is in you you know Mike Haggerty's face, maybe don't know his name, but he's in a ton of stuff. Wayne's World, uh, so I married Axe Murder, Overboard. You know, he's 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 that familiar face. Yeah, and yeah. He's perfect in this he, one scene in the movie. Yeah, he's again, he's he's born and bred in Chicago, so he's he's had the tie to uh, lots of Chicago work, like lots of stuff. Oh yeah. But he's 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 super funny in it. He's yeah, but it's okay because you like that guy, and he he's getting cast because he is that guy, right? Yeah, no, perfect. And while this whole, while they're having their, their back and forth, uh, Schwarzenegger is, you know, he's, he's, he's super educated. He learned everything in Kiev and, uh, he's looking at the, and he finds the, the book and he breaks down and he finds the key number and he figures out that the key is a locker at a bus term at the bus. It's probably at the bus terminal. It's, it's the kind of lockers they have at the bus terminal and he, you know, bingo. Yep. So after the, to the bus terminal they go. Um, and Victor, Victor's there, uses his key to get his, get his drugs. <laughs> and then just as our, our heroes are about to, to arrive at the, at the terminal, I'm going to steal a bus. <laughs> I think it's funny that they both are capable of driving a bus. Well, look, man, Schwarzenegger learned to do it in the army yeah. in Kiev, <laughs> like he says. And I'm sure that, I'm sure that Rostov must've, you know, yeah, I don't. I, I, I would say that Rostov's probably the kind of guy who's stolen a few, big trucks. Per, you know, trucks, yeah. military vehicles, and stuff. <laughs> you know, if you can drive one of those, you could probably drive a bus. And when you're about, you know, when it's your only, when you got to get out, I mean, you you probably learn to drive a bus real quick. Right. This is the one and only time. <laughs> I don't think you're ever gonna see. Didn't see this before, and you're never gonna see it again. We have a bus on bus chase sequence then after Ivan and, and, uh, and Belushi deciding we're going to, we got to chase after him. And so let's steal a bus too. So now you have Victor driving a bus and you got our heroes driving a bus chasing after him. And just, you just don't see. Yeah. <laughs> bus on a bus, big bus, a bus chase through downtown <laughs> Chicago. Doesn't happen often. There's a moment that happens to kind of close out the scene and, and we'll get to it because it just made me laugh, made me think of a racer right away. But, and you know why. Oh, but then much better. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So it's a fun little chase and it's, and it's, it's a lot more action packed than you think you would be two lumbering vehicles like that kind of driving through Chicago. It's not too long. It doesn't, it doesn't, I mean, nope, it doesn't go it doesn't on forever. It's welcome. That's yeah. the other thing. Yeah. It's not, it's not like Con Air with the fire truck and all that, where it takes forever to kind of get where they need to go. You know, they chase, the chase ends up in a train yard or actually it ends up down by the water, right? It ends up down by, yes. the, and down near the docks and there's, you know, train and ships and we basically get a fucking game of chicken, right? <laughs> right. You know, face to face, two buses. <laughs> it's 
so wild, yep. dude. It's and they crazy. Just, they just gun it for each other. And two dudes that are very strong-willed the, the, drive behind the behind the wheel of both buses. And Belushi's and the way they're both yelling. Ah, yeah, it is. And Belushi's like, "What the fuck?" And Belushi's like, going, "Dude, turn, 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 turn." Well, Belushi's not ready to die today. <laughs> so. Not. Not today, he's not. So he, he grabs the wheel and jerks it, but that it causes it causes uh, Victor to lose control of his vehicle too, and it crashes into an oncoming train. And dude, they did that for real too, because yeah. you get a nice you get a nice five seconds of that train pushing that bus yeah. down the track. How many camera angles did we get on that? Five or six? Yeah, that was a good money shot. And they're like, we're not missing anything here, and. Short while later, seven years later, eight years later, right? We get Eraser, where it ends with the limo getting hit by a bus and the arm set, sets up. By train. By train. Yeah. This is so much better. And the thing is about this, when you see it happen in this movie, you're like, well, well, they're saying it's not dead. <laughs> because of the way the train gets hit, he's in the, he's a driver. Like the train doesn't, I mean, sure he would have gotten tossed a bit, but he wouldn't be dead. Right, it clips it in the middle. I mean, he is, yeah. he's pretty worse for wear when he gets, no. when, when, when you, the next time you see Victor standing there and there, you know, it turns into like, uh, you know, this is a, such a great shot too. The two of them standing there in the train yard, both covered in sort of blood and cuts and there's smoke, you know, it, it's very, it's very gunfighter last moment. You know, it, it made me laugh because I thought of like Silverado for a moment. <laughs> right. Of Silverado, right? Victor kind of is crawling out of what's left of his bus. <laughs> just like you said, he's all completely fucked up and Danko just goes, all right, dude, end of the line for you and takes care of business. Yeah, man. Drops him. That's it. I love the way that, you know. Schwarzenegger does never hesitate and there's not a quip. There's no quips. There's no funny little one-liners that come every time he's dispatched somebody in this movie. He just does. Right. It's very matter of fact. And that's something they, they lay down early in the movie. Right. When he shoots his brother. Bath, but the bathhouse scene and then the, the chases that come after that and after the bar, it definitely, he's just like, I, this is not the Arnold we're used to seeing. And at this point, it's only 88, man. We've only been seeing Arnold with his one-liners for four or five years at this point. It's not, we haven't been seeing that very long where he's talking more in movies. And in this, he kind of likes it. He reverts back to the 1984 Arnold. Like Terminator. Like Terminator, yeah, where he just, where like we talked about earlier, it's the efficiency of, of using his Austrian accent and limiting what he says in dialogue-wise to just like he was in Terminator. Absolutely. And that's why this works so perfectly, and and it's a great setup, and we're allowed to see that Arnold Arnold's character Danko is this. I am business. I don't have to say shit because I'm not. Well, he's not an American. He's not going to say American lines. Yeah, it's something that Walter and his and his writing team did a fucking great job doing, is making sure that this may look similar to something you've seen before, but you haven't seen this before. Yeah, it's, it's again, like I said earlier, it's like Howard Hawks remaking Rio Bravo. I mean, right. every time he, I mean, really, because El Dorado and Rio Lobo, they're both, they're Rio Bravo. But each time Hawks brought you something a little bit different. Right. And that's, you know, people that call this a 48 hours clone, I, fuck that. I mean, I don't feel that way, never did. To me, it's more like Rio Bravo to El Dorado. You know, I love both of them. Right. Are they similar? Absolutely. Right. Do I have a problem with that? No. <laughs> no. This kind of movie is what studios always want these days. They want something that's quote unquote new, but still familiar. So they know how to sell it. This is before remakes yeah. and reboots and all that shit. 
But this is totally. about back. And this is what you're looking for. You're looking something for something that was familiar. It is 48 hours. It is. It's, 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 it's to say it's a clone to me. Roughly. When yeah, you, but sure. when you say 40 hours clone like that, and like and some people, and I'm, I'm agreeing with what you're saying when people would say that, that's not fair to the movie. No. It's like, okay, it's similar to it. Yes, it has, a, just because you have all these people involved in it and and there's a certain tone that, well, it's Walter Hill, dude. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's that's, Walter Hill. I mean, you, you could say that about, you know, Walter Hill makes a certain kind of movie and he makes them better than anybody else, right. especially during this stretch. Um, before we, you know, wrap this up, I want to say I really love the end of this movie yeah. when the two of them are the, at the airport yeah. and they're both beat to shit <laughs> and Danko's about to get on a jet. And there's a nice little moment where Belushi's still not, you know, he's still kind of trying to pump like, Hey man, are we friends? This, and Danko makes, you know, he, says, he starts to peel his watch off and he says, look, you know, in the Soviet union, you know, as a sign of friendship and he gives him the watch, right. His right. military watch. And Belushi's like, Oh God, no. And he's so excited and so happy that he's finally made this part that he peels off his watch and he gives it to Danko, not before realizing that his watch is a thousand dollar watch. Right. And Danko's is a cheap $20 West German yeah. watch <laughs> <laughs> so good but but they don't make a big deal about it but it's 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 kind of a genuine kind of fun little moment right. and then you know Schwarzenegger says his his line where he says look man we're not politicians we're police officers we're allowed to like um, each and other and he says yeah. we're allowed to like each other and you know there's the nice little moment where he says his goodbyes and then he walks away and that's it that's how you end a fucking movie man and by the way the most Arnold Schwarzenegger moment is right after Belushi realizes that the that he's got some shitty watch that he's given him. He just kind of looks at him and kind of like does that, you know, half yep. half smirk and kind of like nods and then kind of cocks his head a little bit. I'm like, dude, it was so good. It was real. It was a real moment because he's so business the rest of the movie, and it's the only moment you get him do anything other than that serious, focused face. He just kind of goes, "Yeah, we're cool." <laughs> it was, it was a great moment. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, the, I love this movie. It's funny. I, uh, I watched, I hadn't watched it in a while and I was like, Oh God, you know, it's been a couple of years since I'd seen it, but watching it, I mean, I want to kind of watch it again after talking about it. I might yeah. watch it again this evening. It's, you know, again, it's Walter Hill, man. The guy shaped my sensibilities from early on. I mean, like, I don't know. I was like nine when the Warriors came out. Yeah. And I saw it probably when I was 10 or 11. Yeah, that's you probably know, when I saw it too. You know, VHS. HBO, yeah. And, you know, in, and as everybody who listens knows, I, I I love Streets of Fire. You know, I love, there's not a Walter Hill movie from 74 to about 95 that I don't love. All of them. We're being really good about not saying what they are until we're, we're there. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to give it away. I think it's, you know, they're the kind of things like I feel like I'd like whoever's people who are listening to sort of discover them like as we discovered them back in the day. Right. And I, and I think the I think the movies that we've chosen, maybe not as easily accessible. Right. <laughs> like we discovered. <laughs> We're recording this one today because I realized I didn't have one of my choices. Which, but I think we, we chose four movies that really represent Walter well, but also ones you may have heard of. But not, but, yes. But probably haven't not, seen. Right. Ones that you haven't seen 20 times or that you're not right. so familiar <laughs> with. You're like, oh, really? Dude, everybody talks about that movie. Um, yeah, no, I think, I think what we've chosen to talk about are, are they're great. All of them. Right. I want to say, 
I hope you had as much fun talking about this movie as and and watching this as I did. Yeah, the one dude. that we were going to cover. I'd already watched it three times. So when we do it <laughs> next I, week, I, I'm going to watch it again uh, I, because I, yeah, we're going to do it. I fucked up so bad on that. I'm like, oh, no, I, no, you didn't. I mean, uh, look, I watched it three times because I wanted to. I mean, I watched it. I watched it back to back because I, I again I hadn't seen it in a while, and I love it. And, uh, you know, I was jazzed to talk about it and I wanted to be able to do it justice. And I just was about to start, I was about 20 minutes into the third viewing when you texted me yeah. and I was like, fuck. So I turned it off so that I could watch, <laughs> you know, cause I'm going to watch it again before we talk about it because it's that good. And I think there was something, something else too, about the four movies that we chose. They're all very different. Yeah. That's and they're all very. This is something we were talking about with with Schumacher, Joel Schumacher. Schumacher yes, we were talking about Joel Schumacher. He and Walter Hill. Surprisingly, he was surprised that these guys actually do have some crossover in their careers too. Then they both don't do the same movie twice. That's that's something that you just don't see a lot from current filmmakers or filmmakers that are under fifty. You don't see that that diversity you're not yeah, seeing diversity, that absolutely you're not seeing that because now it's that age now where you know uh, directors that are our age or a little bit younger they're under a new studio system where it's hey just make the same thing over and over people you know people don't want different they want to you know people want to buy what they're familiar with right this is one of the reasons why you find most of the stuff that freddie gets involved in the movies that he works on you know, our independent movies, because you, you get that, that's where those movies that we're talking about, that we're pushing all the time were being made in the, in the 60s, 70s and 80s just don't get made now. Right. They're getting, they're not getting made inside, a, inside of a studio system. It's, you know, right. you got to stay on the outside. Um, you know, recently I read an interview with, you know, Abel Ferrara, basically, you know, his worst his two worst experiences ever were inside the studio system. Once at Warner Brothers and once at MGM. Yeah. So, you know, but I mean, again, there's another guy yes. that I grew up loving his movies. So, you know, I'm always sort of drawn to that type sort of movie that's, you know, outside of, you know, when I read scripts and a script grabs me, it's usually a script that's not like 10 other scripts, you know? Right. Oh yeah, this is derivative of this or this or this. So... You know, and Hill was the king of that, dude. I mean, I wish, I mean, I wish, I, I hope we get one more, maybe two more Walter Hill movies. He hasn't made one in a while. Yeah, it's been a bit. But yeah, man, again, this this movie, love it. Uh, if we're going to go with the remembered better, better remembered, this movie is exactly as I remember it. And I loved it then. And I love it now. I might have had more fun watching it now just because of the nature of it and sort of, you know, it's funny when you have some uh, distance between things, you know, I like it probably for some of the same reasons I loved it when I was 18, but there's a whole bunch of other reasons I love it for now. Yeah. I, I was disappointed that I hadn't visited, revisited it before last night. Right. It's one of those ones, man, and just, fuck, I forgot how good it is. And, you know, this again, that's just my dumb mind saying I'm not a big fan of Belushi, but I forget about how fucking good the movie is and how good he's in it. Yeah. Sometimes people just comes down to material. Right. <laughs> the material makes the difference. Well, exactly. Between you liking somebody and not liking somebody. A hundred percent. Yeah. Who was it? There was um, Paul Reiser was saying, I remember this anecdote he had once where he said, yeah, I ran into a couple of people. Oh, you're Paul Reiser. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you're such an asshole. I'm like, oh, you saw aliens. Huh? And he goes, no, no, we went to school with you. <laughs> 
Oh, right. There you go. That's funny. But that's the thing is like a lot of people like, oh, I don't like Paul Reiser and aliens. But that's kind of the thing is like it's sometimes it's the material that makes the difference between people being accepted or more widely accepted. And, right. But, you know, honestly, this is the only thing that I will consciously go back to that has Jim Belushi in it. But again, it's that it's he's great in it. I really wish that I liked him more because I think I like him more than you do. But I understand exactly yeah. what you're saying. Yeah, there's not a whole bunch of Jim Belushi movies that I like clamoring to see. Uh, maybe three or four tops. But I mean, even those. I mean, this is the only one I would watch with any regularity. And after watching it again, after not pricing it for five years, I kind of think I you know it's something I might revisit a little more often because it's a lot of fun. Yeah, and it. It really, I, I feel, I feel it holds up well, man. That just real quick, I want to say, you, you want to know what kind of shape and how perfect Schwarzenegger. That sequence in the hotel uh, shootout where he's in that white T-shirt, right, <laughs> dude. I, I was like, man, that shirt couldn't be any tighter. <laughs> yeah, and he couldn't have any more muscle. He couldn't pack another muscle onto that body. No, and and I'm not sure if a lot of people are, are aware of this, but Schwarzenegger depending on what movie it was, because depending on what his character required. But he, at this time, you know, like on Commando and with this and with Raw Deal, all those movies around that time, he had his, a gym on set and he would pump before every scene, especially a scene like that. Maybe not later on when you see him in this full police uniform, but any scene like the, the bath, the house scene, the beginning or the hotel scene you're talking about now, any scene where you're going to clearly see his physique, whether he's wearing tight clothes or not, he would pump before a scene. And that's why he was always so extra bulky in a scene because he was swole from just lifting before they called action. Yeah, man. This this is like the, yeah, this, I feel like, but like we'd said earlier, this is like from that peak. Yes. Four, you know, maybe four or five movie run where he was like, fuck. He is not in better shape in any movie no. than he is in this movie. He's like, like you said, he's that prime specimen that you just go, this is why somebody said, you know what? I'm going to put this guy on the big screen because he's got that look. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah, man. So, hey, man, that's, uh, that's, that's red, that's red heat. Red heat. And that is our first, uh, that's first in our director series of Walter Hill. Yeah. So, it, and we're... And we picked Walter because it seemed like, and we didn't hesitate to, it was like, I think I mentioned it. Like, are you said, who are we going to cover? And I'm like, and I said it. I said, I said, I said, do you want to cover? I said, who? Walter Hill and somebody else. And you're like, Walter Hill. Yep. That's we it. We talk about him all the time. We just said, like, yeah. Cause like, we don't, I think it was crazy. This is the first one we covered. Yeah. I think it's, uh, I think maybe it's just because it was, it was so obvious that, you know, I don't know. I think maybe also we were trying to stick to like John, you know, and how do you cover like Walter Hill? Like, how do you throw Walter Hill in? I mean, this, this movie to me is more than a nineties action. It wouldn't have worked in our action series. No, I feel like, you know, I feel like there's certain filmmakers we just have to sort of cover this way. Like, you know, you know, pick a director. Right. There's a, there's a certain cheekiness that goes with the nineties series that we were covering. Yeah. Totally. This, there was, there was nothing, there's nothing, let's put it this way. There's nothing in the four movies that we chose that we're going to be cheeky about because there's nothing to be cheeky about. No. They're again, very, very mixed tones, but also very distinct. They don't have 
moments in their movies because uh, of the of that. Oh, what the fuck were you thinking? I've never felt that about any Walter Hill movie. I never went like, "What are you? What were you on, dude? Why did nope. you?" Never. Me neither. And the ones that we got coming, dude, man. Yeah. And here's the thing: all of them, all of them, all four of them, I haven't seen in the last ten years, at least. And which is going to make oh. it all the more fun. Yeah. I mean, again, that's the thing about revisiting these things. And it's like, you know, and then being excited. I mean, I feel like, you know, th this, this felt like a breeze, this conversation, um, yeah. you know, uh, again, it, you know, one of the, one of my favorite filmmakers of all time, Walter Hill, man. Uh, yeah, I don't I, I have nothing to add. So there you go. So if you want to follow us on social media, you can follow Corey on Twitter at Corey Culp or the official at Karate Pod. A letterbox at Corey underscore Culp. Or if you want to support us on Patreon, we got some fun stuff coming up soon. Gosh, I can't wait to get that going too. You can get us at patreon.com slash KITG podcast. If you'd like to follow Freddie, you can follow me at Raven Shattuck on Twitter or at Rock and Roller 33 on your Instagram or Tom Cody at Letterboxd. That's Tom Cody. Lawrence Fishburne's got a voice cameo in Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Yes. He does the Gennaro Bear, Gennaro Beer yeah, Bear. Right. I didn't know that. Dude. In the beer commercial. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's so great.